Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Love Rules. Our message this morning is called, Before I Let You Go. And the text is John, the 13th chapter, the 31st through the 35th verses. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I remember when my son, Nick, was going on the big tour for Motown. He was on the cast of Motown and Broadway, and when they decided to go on tour, he had the honor of going with him. And it was going to be a long trip and a long journey for him. He would be on tour for almost two years. And then he would be getting married right after that. So this time together when he came and visited me right before he went on tour was really important for the two of us. And I found myself in my, in my very comfortable position of giving more unsolicited advice than ever before. I reminded myself of my mother. <laughs> Our talks before I went away to college were unending. I couldn't get her off the phone. Just when I thought I had brought the conversation to a close, she'd say, okay, but before I let you go, before I let you go, there was always one more piece of advice, one more cooking tip, one more warning, one more scripture <laughs> before I let you go. Looking back, I try to remember her words from that last conversation we had when she was sick and we knew she wouldn't be with us much longer. Those words to me are sacred, the ones you are supposed to remember forever. They can help you frame and honor an entire relationship. Well, that's what today's scripture is about. It takes us back to the night before the crucifixion, at the Last Supper. In this moment, the Son of Man has been glorified. Everything that Jesus has lived, taught, warned, and preached comes to fulfillment. He has seen the earthly work for his Father to completion. Jesus has accomplished what he was sent to earth to do. The hour has come leading to his death. According to the text, Judas has gone out. The deal has been struck. The last steps of the Lord's destiny have been set in motion. There is no turning back now. The rest of the disciples are clueless as to the significance of the evening, and they linger around the last of the food and wine. In fact, they're going to soon all run away. Everything is about to change, and Jesus knows this is his last best opportunity to share essential thoughts, to review the core of what he's been through with them before he lets them go out into the world to do what they are called to do. There is a sweet, tender sadness in the air. 
like in the autumn when it's still warm, but the leaves are falling and they predict what is to come. I'm sure in his mind, Jesus is thinking back on all this band of believers have been through, all he has taught them. But right now, Jesus calls the disciples, not students, but children. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Why does he use that term children? I I don't think it's just because the disciples don't have a clue to what's happening. Jesus had a special affinity for children. He came to earth in the innocence of a baby. He called children around him and proclaimed, unless we can be like children, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There is an innocence, a humility, a simplicity of trust that is part of being a child. So Jesus uses that term because it's at its core divine revelation. It is simple but divine. We can make it dense and difficult, but sometimes I would argue that revelation can be so simple and clear that a child can understand it. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It is in this appeal where I want to stop and meditate this morning. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus could have focused on any number of subjects, values, instructions, or ideas at this crucial point on his way to the cross. He could have made any number of suggestions on how he wanted his followers to be identified. He could have emphasized the coming kingdom. He could have talked about victory. He could have talked about provision, righteousness, faithfulness, or mercy. Those are all vitally important aspects of our faith, but none as important as what he talked about. He wanted us to know just who we are. One of the most interesting questions we can ask ourselves, and should, I believe, is what does it mean to be a Christian? How do we identify ourselves? Growing up as a preacher's kid, I always accepted this identity as defining what I couldn't do. You see, in my house, when I grew up down south, we couldn't dance, we couldn't go to the movies, we couldn't go to socials at school. Our family was strictly against alcohol, which was really pretty interesting to me since there were a lot of alcoholics in our family. Christian identity covers a wide range of territory. I am a Presbyterian. You may be a Baptist. That identifies the way our church is governed. Identity goes much further, whether you call yourself a Protestant or a Catholic. There are a lot of articles and books today about the identity crisis of the black church. I read an interesting one recently about the impact of gentrification. Gentrification at its purest is the influx of the middle class into poor neighborhoods, which is not a bad thing, except for when it pushes poor people out and when it changes the value of a neighborhood. And this article in the Atlantic magazine focused on D.C. churches, churches in the nation's capital, which are losing their fight to hold on to property against developers who are turning everything into condominiums. So you see, they're going through an identity crisis in these neighborhoods. You can get caught up in a number of debates on what it means to be a Christian and end up with a headache. Well, Jesus was not thinking about that kind of thing. He did not use this opportunity to lay out any carefully constructed creed or tell you if your church should be in the country or in the city. Remember, the New Testament would not be written until two generations after his death. The Apostles' Creed, which we read every Sunday, wouldn't be written for another 300 years. 
all the words that Christians have sweated over and fought over would come later. But at this moment, Jesus kept the revelation simple. He wanted to make it easy for the disciples and for us to really know our core identity. He wanted us to focus on one thing that he calls a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what could Jesus mean by declaring this a new commandment? There was nothing new about love. He had spoken of love his entire ministry. The law of Moses mandated the necessity of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus talked about that all the time. So what could be new about love? I think I preach a lot about love, but even so, I realize I have only scratched the surface. Love is such a divine concept. We use the word so loosely that it's easy to overlook its depth, its weight, its height. I consider myself a student of Martin Luther King. By that, I mean I like to read his sermons over and over again. And King had a profound understanding of the power of love, not as romantic or sentimental, but as a force, a force of God for change. Change is at once profoundly intimate and personally, and at the same time, social and political. It is that love that undergirds all of the sermons of Dr. King. So this new commandment that Jesus is talking about, the newness of this is created through this community that forms by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You see, the difference in this love that Jesus talks about and the love he's preached about before is now he's going to show you how great this love is. Up until now, the love he's talked about, well, you could put limits on it. You are told the story of the Good Samaritan. You are told to love your neighbor, to love your enemy. But there are always limits to those stories. But now at the cross... You are shown the boundlessness of this love. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what changes the love that Jesus is talking about. This is what makes it new. It is the sacrifice on the cross that changes this entire thought, this entire journey. And the most important part of this is The before I let you go part is the sacrifice. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. You see, sacrifice That's the act at the heart of the cross. And that's the act that love calls us to. But it is a very difficult act. Before I let you go today, I want you to think and pray about the sacrifice of love, be it love in your family or love in the world, how each of us can be expanded and reduced to embody this truth, which is the fulfillment of God's glory, It is the fulfillment of the cross. It is somewhere in this new command 
that love leads us into eternity. If Jesus had not gone to the cross, we would not know the weight of love. If he had not risen, we would not have access to its power. Thanks for joining me today, and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, RoxburyPresbyterianChurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. Love will reign if you let love